Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome, future minority doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor podcast. Today, I am delighted to have a guest with us. Her name is Morgan McManus. She is a senior at Clemson University in South Carolina, where she majored in health sciences and also got minors in biology and Spanish. She applied to medical school during the 2021 to 22 application cycle, and she It's amazing. She received numerous acceptances to medical schools throughout the country. She has a very inspiring Instagram page where she shares about her pre-med journey and also a lot of tips about applying to medical school, the nitty gritty of everything you have to do, um, things like MCAT success tips. She shares all of that on her Instagram page. You can follow her at melanin.in.med. Again, melanin.in.med. And she is just amazing. I'm totally delighted to have you here today, Morgan. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You know, like when I started my journey, I had no idea how it was going to end up or that I'd be sitting on 12 acceptances at the end of my application cycle. When I started my Instagram page, I didn't realize how many of us were out there that were like literally confused on how the process went. So I am just so, so excited to be here and be able to share my journey. Excellent. Well, I'm very happy to have you. And especially since you're so close to the process. I mean, my co-host, Dr. Zulma and I, we did it, but we did it many, many years ago. And uh, as much as we try to share about um, how to succeed through that, you are so close to the process. You just went through it. So listeners that are looking at applying to medical school in the near future, this is just going to be golden advice for them. But first, let's learn a little bit about you. Tell us, tell us about yourself, about your background, about what inspired you to go into medicine. Of course. So you already know my name. I'm Morgan, born and raised in South Carolina, originally from Florence, South Carolina. I kind of got my start um, in medicine with my family. So my mom is a nurse. So growing up, I just like have memories of her going to work the overnight shift at the hospital. And then on top of that, both my dad and my sister have diabetes. And I was just exposed to them, you know, checking their blood sugar, taking their insulin. And that really just got me interested in healthcare in general. And then I was able to grow up. My hospital has a really great teen volunteering program, you could call it. And so in middle school, literally 13, 14, I was in the hospital um, shadowing, seeing the different areas. And it was really then that I was able to see, you know, what do a doctor, a nurse, you know, PI, everything like that, what do they do? And I realized that I think that medicine, specifically becoming a doctor was going to be my calling. And it feels like the rest is history. So I've just been able to, you know, hone in and get even more clinical experience. I decided to go to Clemson for undergrad, which has been the best decision that I ever made. Um, Born and raised a Clemson Tiger, super huge Clemson football fan. So it's been great to have that experience while also being a pre-med. And then I also love to bowl and to cook. So that is a little bit about me. Uh huh. Wonderful. I'm curious, some of our listeners might be um, even in the their stage of high school, a senior in high school, and trying to decide what university to go to. You said you're really happy with your decision of where to go to college. 
Any advice for people trying to choose what college to go to? What do you think made it the perfect place for you? My dad went to Clemson, so I have always been a Clemson fan. So my earliest memories are driving up once a year for a football game or coming here for summer camp. And so it just felt like a home away from home, three hours away from where I grew up. But I think that when I found the health science program, specifically my concentration in health promotion and behavior, I knew it was perfect because I think that as a physician, I'm really interested in, you know, underserved populations and thinking about the social determinants of health, you know, the places that we live and where we work and how that influences our health outcomes. I didn't really know how much of that I would get in medical school. And so I really loved the health science program, being able to create, you know, interventions and program planning and things like that in undergrad and have that education taking me into medical school. I think it's really invaluable. But when it comes to my advice, I definitely think the biggest piece of advice is go where you're going to be happy. Being a pre-med student, it's not the easiest walk in the park, but having a support system and things that you love outside of medicine, for me, that's football. It has been such a great experience. And, you know, coming up, graduating in a couple of weeks, I would not change my decision. I wouldn't say that, you know, like my school is known to be like a huge pre-med school, but we have partnerships with medical schools. We have a really great health professions advising office, and I've just been able to take advantage of opportunities and create opportunities for myself um, being in a small college town. That's what I wanted. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad it was a great place for you. Now you get to Clemson, you start on your pre-med journey. Luckily, you knew relatively early in your life that you wanted to go this route. So you were able to start off knowing that. What were the pre-med years like for you? What were the challenges? What were the ups? What were the downs? I think that really the highlight of my pre-med years, my school actually has a course where we take classes, um, where we take a class where we have two physicians come in and speak with us every week. And then we get to shadow at a hospital that's about 45 minutes away, but it's a pretty large hospital system. So everything from like pediatric neurosurgery to radiology, pretty much anything that you could think of, I was able to shadow. And I think that was one of the highs because it was just a constant reminder every week I was in the hospital seeing physicians and like getting a glimpse into what my life would look like. But of course, you know, everything's not always perfect. There was, I think, the first two years of my undergrad where I really like thought that I had to be this perfect pre-med, joining every pre-med organization and going to all of their meetings and, you know, like checking those boxes that people say that you should check to get into medical school. And I was also, I also worked in undergrad. So that was a lot, you know, being involved on campus, working 20 hours a week, being, you know, still being a great student and things like that. However, I think it really changed, you know, like my, the middle of my second year, kind of when the COVID pandemic hit, I was just like, life's too short to try and do what other people think that you should do. And that's when I really started focusing on organizations that matter to me and really doing what I was passionate about. Um, And I think that's something that has really shown in my success in the medical school application cycle. I didn't list a single like general pre-med organization on my application. um, And I still got in. And we talked about a lot of things like I'm involved with a 501c3 nonprofit organization that mentors students in Title I schools. Talked about that a lot. I'm involved with a summer program that just teaches youth leadership skills. Talked about that so much. And I really think that it's hard being pre-med, the grades and things like that. But when you have organizations and a community to fall back on, that's going to keep you 
grounded and support you throughout the process, I think it makes the journey so much better. And then of course, having those clinical experiences, being able to get into the hospital and get that reminder of your why medicine. It's amazing. Uh huh. Wonderful. Yeah. It sounds like you really were balancing a lot of those wonderful extracurricular and clinical experiences with your academic load. Um, I do mentor many pre-med students, and sometimes one of the struggles that I commonly see, especially, well, I, I tend to mentor minority pre-meds, but what, what I see is a lot of students struggling to really balance those two. Like they're really eager to serve their community and do all mm-hmm. of these volunteer activities and be involved in organizations. And then they really struggle to balance that completely with the workload to make sure that they're getting the grades that they need to be competitive in medical in medical school applications. Any advice on balancing? How did you do it? So I kind of got a head start before everybody else. Um, I went to a residential school for my last two years of high school, and it was really STEM focused. South Carolina Governor School for Science and Mathematics in Hartsville, South Carolina, and so. At that school, you know, we were taking six AP classes with the labs that were separate from the courses, like the equivalent of like 20 plus credit hours in college. It was insane. We had professors with PhDs that were teaching us that had come from the college level. And so I think that I really was able to figure out how I studied best then. So once I transitioned to college, I was, I already knew how I studied best since I was able to take advantage. Like I can know how long it would take me to study for this or do this certain assignment. But I also just love my planner. I decided to create my own planner because I didn't love any that I was finding out there. I just wanted something that was going to be specifically designed to my lifestyle. And what I realized is that, you know, we have this idea of, oh, like if you're planning out your day, like you need to know exactly what you're doing at eight, what you're doing at nine. And I realized that planning out my day that strictly just did not work with my mindset and how I like to just go about my life. And so I would sit down every Sunday in my planner and write out what needed to happen throughout the week and what days that needed to happen. And so of course, you know, classes, you have to be in class at a certain time. But the time that I do my public health assignment, that doesn't have to be exactly at 11 o'clock. So if I don't feel like doing it, then I wouldn't do it. And so I think just really giving myself the flexibility of knowing this needed to happen today, but it doesn't have to happen at a certain time that really just helped me. And then when you are involved with organizations that you're passionate about, you're much more eager to be involved with them, I think. And so just really like time management was huge, but really just living by my planner and taking classes and doing things that I really enjoyed makes life so much more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And then speaking a little bit more of classes, one thing I also see is a lot of pre-meds, you know, they take their first biology class or they take their first OCHEM class or their first physics class mm-hmm. and they get really discouraged because it's hard and maybe they don't do it as well as they wanted to. Did that ever happen to you? Did you struggle with staying motivated uh, when things got hard at times? Yeah, I think mindset is so huge and um, really important to our success. You know, everybody says organic chemistry is so hard. And if you go into that mindset of organic chemistry, oh, it's so hard. Oh, I'm going to get a C. Then you're probably going to get a C because you're going to give C level effort. And there is nothing wrong with getting a C in organic chemistry. It is a really hard course. But I'm just encouraging people to, you know, take a different mindset. Organic chemistry is a visual course, which I think is a little bit different than, you know, maybe your general chemistry, which feels a little bit more math focused. And so I love being able to draw the structures and make those connections 
with organic chemistry. And if I had went into that class with the mindset of what everybody else told me, I wouldn't have put in the effort, but I gave it a shot and I really enjoyed it. Physics, on the other hand, we're not even going to get started on that. <laughs> um, physics was just not my forte at all. I really struggled with it. But that's the time where I had to lean in my network. You know, upperclassmen had already gone through the class. What worked for them? Talk to your professor and, you know, go through your homework questions with them and miss quiz questions and test questions and things like that. And so definitely there are times when I was like, I'm not going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to pass this class. But I think just really leaning on your network, that's the hardest thing for us. I think a lot of pre-meds to do, like, we just want to think that we have it all together and portray that, but it's okay to ask for help. And the moment I started making relationships with my professors and asking for help was, it was great. And I think that my trajectory was just up from there because you have that network, you're already paying for it. So you might as well take advantage of it. Yeah. I really appreciate those two points you make about mindset. Mindset really affects so much. I mean, it's, it's sort of the a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm -hmm. That if you go into it with negative expectation, you're more likely to fulfill that negative expectation. And also what you say about asking for help. I I harp on this all the time because I was terrible at it when I was in college. I was so I struggled so much too. And and there's a lot that goes into it, especially as like a female as a minority, just like feeling like you're going to be judged as being dumb if you ask Mm -hmm. certain questions. But like you said, you know, once you like surmount that challenge and just do it, it's so worth it to ask for that help. So you got through your pre-med courses and everything. And then this past year, it was time to apply to medical school. And that's where I think you are really an expert. (laughs) Although backtracking a little bit first, before you applied, you had to take the MCAT. So let's talk a little bit (laughs) about the MCAT. You share a lot about your MCAT preparation on your Instagram page, but tell us a little bit about it here. When did you start preparing? How much time did you take? What were your key strategies? So I think it's important to fully understand my MCAT journey to understand that. Came into college with credits um, and my original goal was to graduate in three years. Um, So I was going to go through three years and go straight through. Um, And so... I would be looking at taking the MCAT kind of like after my second year. And once I got into college, I decided that I wanted to just like take it a little bit slower, take some classes that I enjoyed. And so I was like, I'm just going to stay for four years, 100% the best decision I ever made. But still, I was on that track of, you know, being done with my science prerequisite courses at the end of my second year. And so I was trying to start studying for the MCAT. I told myself December, like sophomore year, December, Christmas break. We're going to get a head start on studying for the MCAT. You're going to have so much free time, not having classes. Like, you got this. Took the books home and they sat on my fireplace. I was spending <laughs> uh-huh. so much time, you know, trying to find different study schedules and adapting this study schedule and mixing those study schedules that I didn't even start studying. So got back to school and, you know, I was in my sophomore year, so I didn't feel rushed, but I was like, you know, if you're ready. Like, let's go ahead and do it while some of the classes are still fresher in your mind. So I actually started studying the middle of February. So that was February of 2020, and I took my MCAT August of 2020. And I think what worked for me was you just got to sit down and start studying. So I have a scheduled template that's on my website, and it's great to get you started. But I wouldn't worry about trying to like adapt all these different study schedules and things like that until you start studying for the MCAT. I don't think you should sign up for an MCAT date until you started studying for the MCAT uh-huh. because you'll quickly realize that 
studying for the MCAT is not like rote memorization or slight analyzation that you need in college courses, but it's really about being able to understand and pull out information and synthesize that information with the content that you already have from science um, passage-based articles. And so that was something that was totally different for me. And what I decided to do was I started with the Kaplan books. I used those um, for the science sections. And then I used Khan Academy for the psychology and sociology section or psych-soc. And then did that. And I studied, I think, February until like mid-April. And then I actually took another diagnostic exam and my score actually went down. So I was like, hold on. Uh I studied for like, I was studying maybe like two, three months then, but it was super, super part-time. Like we're talking like maybe eight hours a week, just like finding bits and pieces of time when I could. Um, But still like my score should not have gone down. I was like, that's not normal. So I reevaluated what I was doing and I was doing what I had done for all of my other classes. I was basically rewriting the textbook into my notes and somehow thinking that that was going to make everything click and make me be able to apply that knowledge. And so I totally switched my strategy for the rest of content review. And I started incorporating passage-based practice. At that time, I was just using Khan Academy because they had free um, passage-based practice questions. And then after I finished all of content review, I transitioned into UWorld, which is my favorite resource ever. Um, It's so amazing. I love it. And that was really great because I am someone that I don't need to just understand why I got an answer right. But if I get something wrong, I need to know why it's wrong. Why are those other answer choices that I've never seen? Why are those wrong? And for some subjects, I'm a visual learner. For some subjects, I'm like, I need to see things written out. And I love that UWorld does both of that. It has a lot of graphics. And then it also has a lot of words. And it explains why everything's wrong and why the right answer is right. And then it also separates everything down into the subject, which is really good if you're trying to do some targeted practice or if you want to mix things up. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I spent six weeks studying for, I spent the last six weeks studying for the NCAT doing AMC material. And so that's just the official um, material from their website. And after that, took the MCAT and voila, it was done. But I definitely think UWorld helped me a lot. I really think that I used Anki as well. The Maldown Anki deck, I think Anki was so, so helpful, but I also realized, you know, it's one of those things where you can't just listen to what everybody else says. Everybody's like, Anki, 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 Anki's amazing. I loved Anki. I didn't really care to learn how to use Anki outside of using the pre-made deck. And so what I decided to do was I started making my own handwritten flashcards to supplement the questions that I got wrong with UWorld. And I think that's when I really started to see my score improve as well, um, because I was able to write those flashcards and they were created by me. Um, I understood what my gaps were, how I learned best. And so definitely just think like combining resources that you have that other successful students have used, but then also using what works for you is the key to success. And then of course that mindset thing again, when my first score dropped, I could have said, okay, you're not going to get above a 500. You're just going to settle for that. But like I did and I kept going and then ended up with a 519. So you got to keep going and then it'll pay off. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, by the way. That's what 97th percentile, uh, 519. So congratulations on that. A lot of students would love to have that score. And if you did it, they can do it. Like anybody can do it. It just really takes dedication. And even if you don't get a 519, it's okay. Like you do your best, but you have Mm -hmm. to put in the hours. You have to put in the dedication. You have to be willing to work hard and improve. And I love what you say about all the different resources. 
how many full length practice exams would you say you took to prepare? Because that's something I that 13. I tried. <laughs> oh, 13. There you go. Yeah. So I, I mean, I studied for six months, which that was the perfect timeline. Um, I think for me, I probably could have studied like a couple of weeks shorter, um, just because I felt like I was starting to get burnt out because I did study like I never studied more than six hours in a day. I was not someone that could sit and study for 12 hours. That's just like another little thing that's different that a lot of people are like, oh, you need to sit and study for 10 hours. And I'm like, I could never. Like my brain, uh-huh. it doesn't work for that long. But yeah, so I think that six months was the perfect time. And it just gave me an opportunity to, I took diagnostic at the beginning, diagnostic in the middle of content review. And then after that, I was taking fulling. I did then every two weeks while I was doing New World for a couple of months. And then I did it once a week in the six weeks leading up to my um, actual test. And I think that it worked out really great, just building up that endurance mm-hmm. and just being good with testing conditions, you know, especially as students that deal with any type of anxiety, you want anything that you can do to make yourself feel comfortable, even if it's down to wearing the same clothes, eating the same food at the same time, just little things like that make you feel so much more comfortable and alleviate a little bit of that anxiety on test day. Uh-huh. So that's everything that I did leading up with all of my full lengths. But yeah, full lengths mm-hmm. are great. I love them. So glad I did 13. You don't have to do 13, but I yeah. definitely think like seven, eight, I think is like a really good number to at least shoot for. Yeah, definitely. And I like that you said, even though you didn't study for really long periods at a time, you still forced yourself to do those practice exams, which mm-hmm. are what, seven and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that is important. All right. So then, okay, you took the MCAT, you did well, you're facing the start of the application cycle. How did you prepare? It seems like following from following your Instagram page, you're a pretty organized person. And that I think is really helpful yeah. <laughs> when you're trying to navigate this very complex application process. So how did you prepare? Did you have your letters of recommendation already set up way before? Tell us about that, the beginning of that process. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges that I faced kind of as a pre-med student was not really knowing a lot about the journey. So like I said, my mom's a nurse, but she didn't go to medical school. She has no idea like how that process works. My dad's not even remotely in the field of medicine. So he has no idea how that process works. Uh And then also, you know, coming in with that accelerated timeline, taking the MCAT pretty much a year before the rest of the students in my class took it, it was totally different. Mm -hmm. And so I was working at the health professions advising office. And so I was trying to like kill two birds with one stone. So I was creating infographics on social media, you know, from the health professions advising office, using all the resources that our director of health professions advising had. And I was like, as I'm creating these resources, I need to listen to these resources and I can learn from it. And so I really just learned, you know, that the application process is a whole year that you apply the summer after your junior year and little things like that. And so I wanted to be as prepared as possible. Once again, just the having the anxiety, you know, the more that you can do earlier, it just makes your life so much easier. Um, And so I was like, I think just kind of had it all together as together as you can have it when you're applying to medical school. But I decided to create my own application organizer, also free on my website. And so it literally has tabs for everything in terms of the schools and all their specific information, letters of recommendation, interviews, decisions, expenses, literally everything that you could think of or everything that I thought of at least. And so I started filling that out. I would probably say March of the year that I was going to apply. 
but I really made great, great, great connections with my professors my sophomore year. And I knew that I wanted to be those people that were going to be able to just advocate for me in my application. And so what I actually did was, you know, also being in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, not knowing if we would go back to campus and I could drop in their office and ask them, hey, would you be willing to write me a letter of recommendation? I reached out to them the summer after my sophomore year. So we're talking July of 2020, knowing I'm not applying until May of 2021. And I was like, just want you to know, like, I loved your class, really loved our connection that we made. You know, I want to go to medical school. Would you be willing to write me a letter of recommendation when that time comes, even though it's a year out? And they were super willing. And I think that really allowed me to, you know, in my future interactions with them, they remembered me. They paid a little bit more attention to our interactions, knowing that they were going to write a letter of recommendation. And then in March of the application cycle, so March 2021, I had an interfolio account reach back out and I was like, hey, if you're ready to write your letter now, you can go ahead and submit it because I didn't want to like intervene on their summer because I know that, you know, not every professor, some of them are non-month contract and so they don't get paid to work in the summer. And I just didn't want to add any extra stress still being in the middle of a pandemic. And so my application organizer kept me super prepared. I was able to, you know, just use my mentors and my network to help me review my personal statement, um, my activity section. And so when I got to May of application cycle, all like the written components for my primary application were ready. So when it opened, it was really just like copy pasting and, you know, and putting everything for my transcript. And so I felt like I was at a really good place in terms of preparedness for the application cycle. Yeah. I love that you mentioned getting help with all the components of your application. I think that's so important. I have prior experience on an admissions committee at one point, and I reviewed a lot of applications. And I could really tell sometimes when students had had help with their application and when they didn't, Mm -hmm. like when it seemed more like a first draft that hadn't been reviewed as opposed to like a really polished, reviewed multiple times type of draft. And it's really tricky just knowing how to frame your activities, knowing how to describe them, knowing what to do in the most meaningful remarks. Your personal statement says a lot about you. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that you you really utilized all of your resources and had a lot of people help you in the process. And I'm sure that contributed in part, in addition to, you know, all of the hard work you did in part to that success of the application cycle. 100%. I think. My biggest piece of advice, if not just one of the one of the big pieces of advice is to use your network, create a network if you don't have one. I, you know, like I said, I took the MCAT a year earlier than most people. And so I was really connected with so many people who got into medical school the year before I did. So I was like, awesome. You guys have been through the application cycle. You know what it's like. You've been accepted. So you're successful. And so like those are like my besties for my application Uh cycle in terms of like, hey, just got a secondary essay. Do you mind like reviewing this super quick to make sure it like makes sense? Um, But yeah, and then also some like formal mentorship programs. So I did, um, I got a mentor through Black Girl White Coat. I also got a mentor through Bridging Admissions um, that really was just there to like support me throughout the entire application cycle. And it's so important to have people that are willing to help you But more than that, it's important to have people that are willing to help you that are in medicine Uh because the medical school application process is so different, I feel like, than, you know, just applying to college or just regular grad school. And so having someone, I actually had an M4 who was 
my um, mentor throughout the application cycle, he was able to say, you know, this could come off as negative, you know, towards healthcare. And I was like, nobody ever said that reading it. Uh But now I can see your perspective. And so I was able to edit that part of my personal statement. Or when I was doing a mock interview with him, he was like, this is person first language that you can use or think about bringing in what do we call, you know, where you live, where you work, how that influences. Oh, it's social determinants of health. Use that language that you know. It was just little tips and tricks like that, that I would have never known on my own, might not have been able to find on the um, on the internet, but someone who had been through this process and was very familiar with it was able to help me and guide me. And so that's one of the reasons that I have my social media page because I can't work one-on-one with everyone, but just, you know, like creating the posts and the information that I didn't have or that I wish I had earlier is one of my main goals because you just need someone who's been through the process that can help you. And that's not to invalidate the assistance of people who are not in medicine. You know, having a close family member or friend or an English teacher review your essay, invaluable as well. Um, but I think it's just you want to make sure that you're getting insight and advice from people that know you in different capacities. And then someone in medicine who maybe doesn't know you and feels more comfortable giving you harsh, honest advice to make sure that you're presenting the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you have a lot of tips and advice to give generally about the medical school applications process. So what would you say are the two to three most important things that pre-meds should know going into that application cycle? Wow, that's a hard one. Two to three things that people should know. So for one, you should know that the application cycle runs an entire year and that it is ruling admission. So a lot of people don't realize like I'm going straight through, which is what people call it when I'm graduating in May, starting medical school in July or August. That means that I have my summer, but that's it. I'm not taking any gap or growth years. And so for that, I had to apply to medical school the summer after my junior year. So a lot of people don't realize how early the application process starts. And so you can submit usually at the end of May. And so for that, you know, you are starting to think about the MCAT earlier in your junior year. So you can have the MCAT done or around, um, before you start applying or around the time that you submit your application. So I think just really understanding the details of how the application cycle works, those dates, those specifics are super, super important and something that everybody needs to know. I think also one thing that you need to know is that the number, three numbers that you get for your MCAT score or a rejection, a wait list, or an acceptance that you get from a medical school does not define you 100%. I think there were definitely times where I began to start tying my worth to these scores or these decisions from medical schools. And they sift through thousands of applicants every year. I don't know what their process is like, but if they reject you, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be an amazing physician. That doesn't mean that you're not worthy and things like that. And so I think just keeping, you know, just trying to stay positive throughout the application cycle and remember that, you know, you're going into medicine for the right reasons, then we want you, you know, somebody is going to see that in you and accept you and you're going to be an amazing physician. And just there are multiple people who are amazing physicians who've had to take the MCAT twice or apply twice and just don't let, you know, one bad thing kind of deter you from medicine if you think it's really the place that you're supposed to be. Yeah, I love that. I love that. 
it can be really hard during the application cycle because you're putting so much money, so much effort, so much of your, yes. you know, and just save. Your and that's my other big advice. Start saving literally from freshman year, like create a separate bank account uh-huh. where you're like saving so much of your paycheck because applying to medical school is the most expensive process ever. And I did it during a virtual cycle. So that's telling you something. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And back when you have to actually travel to schools, it's, you know, airfare and accommodations add even more. And I know some schools are going to go back to in-person interviews, but some of them are going to try to stay virtual for the purposes of um, increasing equity, thankfully. And I love that. Um, I've talked with a lot of, you know, deans of admission throughout the application cycle on the interview trail. And I love um, just the ones that reiterate, like that's something that we can do moving forward. And as someone who did a virtual cycle, it was hard because a lot of the schools that I was applying to, I'd never been to those cities. I knew it was places that like, it sounded great. But what I loved was that I was able to do every single interview that I wanted to. If the cycle was in person, there's no way I would have been able to travel to 12 schools to interview. I was literally doing like, there's one week I had to interview Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, there's that's just not feasible, especially being a working college student. Um, and so definitely I think that that increases equity in the process. And then now I've been able to visit, I visited three schools. Uh-huh. And so, so much less money than visiting 12 schools because you know, it's not the same as being in person, but you can still get like a good vibe, I think, initially, just from doing virtual interviews. Um, speaking of interviews, tell us more about that process. I think that can be a really challenging experience for many people. Yeah. And especially if you only get interviews at like one or two schools, there's a lot of pressure to perform there. Stereotype threat, which we've talked about, can rear its mm-hmm. ugly head and affect your performance. So how did you prepare and how did you feel confident during the interviews? So I was able to prepare for interviews through mock interviews. So I actually, my M4 mentor that I referenced earlier that was able to help me edit my personal statement, he was right there with me um, when I got my first interview invite and we set up a mock interview. And so we did like a traditional mock interview, just basic question, answer, back and forth. Um, Just some of those situational type questions that I might also get asked in MMI were some of the things that we went through. And then after that, after I was able to do a mock interview with him, I kind of just did a lot of prep on my own in terms of finding mock interviews online that I could watch. Um, And then also just kind of like building out my answers for a lot of the common questions like, tell me about yourself. Why medicine? Um, Why our school? What's your biggest strength? What's your biggest weakness? Little um, questions like that that you're bound to get if you do multiple interviews almost, you know, just some of those common questions that you could be prepared for. And then doing that mock interview, I think it just helped me, you know, being in that virtual space and once again, tailoring your interview because you're applying for medical school. It's not just like a normal job interview or, you know, interviews that you may have done previously. That was different for me. But I did one mock interview and then prepared on my own. And then when I got my first interview for an MMI interview, I was able to connect with someone who was able to do a mock MMI with me. And all of my interviews were super close. So I didn't do a lot of preparation in between all of them. So it was really like getting that initial interview out of the way. I got super, super lucky because my very first interview was a student interview. Oh, nice. So one thing I just want to like preference student interviews are super important. A lot of, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's a student interview. You don't have to like be as professional and things like that. Definitely still be professional 
a lot of times the student interviews are weighted the same as, you know, a faculty interview. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I just felt more comfortable. And so it was such a positive experience that I kind of just like felt confident going into my future interviews. But I also had gotten the advice to remember, like, you've checked all their preliminary boxes if they invite you for an interview. Not everybody gets invited for interviews. Like, go in there confident and realize, like, they want to learn about you. But this is also your opportunity to learn if this school would be a good fit for you. And so just thinking about how it goes both ways and also realizing, like, they already want you. Uh Um, And just going in there with that confidence, I think that's what really helped me with the interviews. But I just went there confident and, like, showed my personality. And I really, really enjoyed interviews. I think they're a great way just to show who you are outside of what you can put on paper. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it depends also on your personality. If you're on the shyer side or like um, struggle more with interview type interactions or public speaking, then you need more preparation, like more practice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also kind of a weird beast because in my experience, especially something like the mini medical interview, the MMI, it's kind of like speed dating interviews and you only have like a few minutes to make your impression (laughs) based on a specific. I never felt comfortable coming out of those just because Uh I'm someone I think that thrives on like social feedback that I get. Yeah. And so not being able to get those social cues and it was really weird. I'm like, was this good? Was this bad? So that was definitely one that I struggled with and I did do a lot more preparation for my MMIs because they felt more uncomfortable and unfamiliar to me. Yeah. And it's also a a delicate balance between, you know, you want to talk about yourself and share, learn how to like summarize your experiences very succinctly, but also you don't want to be too self-centric. So it's like, because you're going into a serving profession. And so there's a lot of nuance about the interviews. So just practicing, even recording yourself, I think can be helpful. Because then you're able to see like, how does my body language come across? Do I look happy? Am I making good eye contact? All of those nuances can come across. Definitely. So the first mock interview that I did that was traditional with my mentor, we recorded the entire thing. And Uh so what I loved is I could see like when I was getting, there was just like one question that he asked and I just didn't know like how to formulate my words. And I could see, go back and rewatch it and just like see how it tensed up and how I came across differently. And so one of the things that I love is definitely record yourself when you do a mock interview or I also like recorded myself doing like my own mock interview with myself, like read out this question and then, you know, record yourself and look back at it because I definitely think it helps so much being able to just see how you interact and how you make that eye contact and that connection. And then also like reach out to friends. I had a lot of friends that I was applying with. And so we met at a coffee shop and just like Googled interview questions and just like kind of rapid fire Uh back and forth at each other. And, you know, of course we hadn't been through an interview ourselves in medical school. So like, we didn't know exactly what they were looking for, but like just basic human things like, oh, your eye contact isn't good. Or, oh, you didn't make sense there. That's little things that you can do with anyone. So that's what I love to Mm -hmm. do with um, my friends that were applying as well. Yeah. Or even small things like, oh, you're repeating yourself too much, you know, that kind (laughs) of thing. Because when you get nervous, that tends to happen. All right. Uh, What, what would you say was most surprising to you personally about the application process? How much writing there was? Like, I do not love writing. (laughs) At one point, I think I literally posted, I was like, how is this going to help me? 
And I'm like, I know you have to write notes in medical school and it's going to be important. But, you know, you think about you do the primary application, you write 15 activities, descriptions, you write a personal statement. And then it's like the secondary essay, they ask you to list out your activities. And I'm like, don't you already have that? So I definitely think the amount of like essays that I had to write and then also some of the redundancy in the essays, um, I was not prepared for that at all. Yeah. But overall, I think it worked out. Also was not prepared for how fast and also how slow the application cycle was. So, you know, in the sense that as soon as your application gets sent to the schools from AMCAS, you could automatically get a secondary essay. And then, you know, a week later, you might get an interview. And then there's another school that might wait three months to give you an interview invite. And then there's another school that if you interview the next day, you might get an acceptance, whereas it might be the last day of the application cycle before they send you your financial aid. So just as someone who, like you said earlier, organized, plans, likes to know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, you have to be prepared for the unknown. You can find the dates of when things are supposed to happen. Schools will give you an idea, but at the end of the day, they're human just like we're human. Life happens um, and it is kind of difficult balancing the waiting process, part of the application cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of all of that work that you put into this application cycle, you got numerous acceptances. So tell us about that. Yeah, um, it was great. It's literally the best feeling. Sometimes I still wake up and I'm like, hold on, like, well, let me make sure I'm not in a dream. I still remember I was actually finishing up a Q&A session on a different interview when I got my first acceptance. And so it popped up, the school's name popped up on there. And so my dad was actually at my apartment for a football game that weekend. So I like ran down the stairs so fast, like ran in the room and put it on speakerphone. My dad's looking at me and he's like, what are you doing? What's going on? And I'm like, just listen, just be quiet and listen. And the dean of admissions from the school is just like, congratulations, like you've got accepted everything like that. And then my roommate ran down the stairs. Um, but she was like, I felt like that was an important run. She was like, it sounded like an important run. And she started crying before I even got off the call because, you know, she's pre-vet, I'm pre-med. We've been friends since our residential school. So like, we've seen each other through all the ups and downs. She knew like how important or, you know, just how important this journey was and how much time and effort I've put into it. And so, you know, you get that first one and you're just excited because, you know, I feel like I hear the thing, like all you need is one. Who knew at one in October that I would be sitting at 12 with scholarships in April. Uh Um, And so I feel like sometimes it's still just so hard to put into words, but it's just such a reminder that especially for me being a black female, you know, medicine was not designed for me. This is a space that, you know, years ago I was not supposed to be in and I get to do that. You know, like I get to not only like go into medical school, but I get to thrive, you know, and I'm so excited and just realizing that uh-huh. it's such a blessing, such an opportunity. And um, really just also reminding myself that whatever school gets me, I'm adding value to their school too. Um, and so yeah, who who would have thought? I still don't have all the words, but I'm really, really excited, really grateful and excited to see where the next four years takes me. Yeah, wonderful. Congratulations. And I know you recently made your decision. You're not yet uh, ready to reveal that yet. That's yes. okay. But what helped you to decide? Now, with these 12 acceptances, how do you narrow it down to one? Yeah, so on my um, on my interview, 
actually the school that I'll be attending, the dean of admissions, he gave us a piece of advice. And he said, make a list of what you want right now. And so this is me in like August or September. So this is before any acceptances, before half of my interviews. And so I made a document on my iPad that said what I want in medical school. And, you know, for me, some of those things were I did prefer a shorter preclinical curriculum, like one, one and a half years rather than two years. Um, But what were some important things for me, diversity, feeling like I was going to be able to be supported as a black female going into medicine. I knew that I would likely be moving away from home because that was always my plan. Go to, I always wanted to go to Clemson. So I knew I'd be going to undergrad close to home, but medical school, I just wanted to do something different, been in South Carolina my whole life. Um, So location somewhere, I feel like I could just like be in a city, explore the world and just like have that fun in my twenties, even though I'm in medical school, having a really great MD, MPH option, having Spanish opportunities was super important to me, um, especially having a Spanish minor and just being able to see the need that we have for that. Uh And so those were just some of the important things, but I think utmost it's a bad, it's a feeling that you get that you can't really put into words someplace that, you know, like I'm moving a flight away from home and this is going to be my home. Um, And so I think those were definitely some of those feelings, just being able to talk with students and connect with them. Those are all things that were super, super important to me. And so just looking back at that list that I initially said, this is what I want in medical school. And then looking back at my reflections that I made after every interview and realizing, you know, what school aligns the best and where I'm going to be the most supported and be able to thrive as a medical student. That's what it came down to. Oh, wonderful. What are you most looking forward to about medical school? I'm excited to move to a fun city. I am so excited. Um, So being in South Carolina my entire life, South Carolina is amazing. I love it. But I went to undergrad in a college town. Clemson is the epitome of a college town. Uh And so just being able to like walk outside of my apartment and have the world at my fingertips to, you know, be in a place where I can hop on a train and be in another city in like an hour or so. Like, I just think that's so cool. Just like be in the middle of everything. And then, you know, I kind of did something a little bit different when I went to a residential school, but it was still in my state, got to meet a lot of new people, um, went to college, of course, got to meet a lot of new people, but I still went to like a public state school where the majority of people are going to be from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Aside from the people that I met going up when I went to go visit the school, I don't know anybody else going. And while part of that terrifies me, it's also so exciting to finally be able to like get outside of my comfort zone. So yeah, I'm super excited just to like have the world at my fingertips, finally be in the place that I've dreamed about for forever and get to meet new people and learn about, you know, other parts of the world. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I'm so happy for you. And I'm sure that you will do wonderful things just as you, you've done in the past. You'll continue to do amazing things during medical school and beyond. Do you happen to have any idea what kind of specialist you want to be at this point? So right now I'm leaning towards family medicine, maybe med peds, uh-huh. but of course that could all change in medical school. Sure. Um, the only question that I'm like 100% sure about, which could also change because I'm so indecisive. I don't think I want to do surgery just because of like the lifestyle. I'm just, I don't think I'm a surgeon. Uh-huh. But yeah, so I work at a family medicine practice right now and it's so amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, I definitely want to do something that does, we see like a lot more, more of the adult population. So I kind of want to do broad range and see kids do a little bit of OB stuff, things like that. But 
yeah, and thinking about family medicine, I love the outpatient setting, really getting to build that longitudinal connection with my patients. And then because I am so indecisive, I think it'd just be so cool just to be able to see like babies in the morning and then like adults in the afternoon, like you literally get to see everything. And then uh-huh. also my background in public health, my interest in preventative medicine. I think it's just like the perfect mix of that. So yeah. 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 Well, that's wonderful. We do need, we need very good primary care physician this, in this country. And um, I know that one of the things you mentioned on your Instagram account is that one of your passions is increasing diversity in medicine. Tell us a little bit about that. Where, where do you see your role in that or your potential um, to affect that? Like I said previously, you know, growing up, I didn't really have people that looked like me. I think it was just overall that lack of representation in medicine from my perspective. Uh-huh. And I don't want, you know, future minority young girls and boys who want to go into medicine. I, I don't want them to experience that. And so right now my platform is really just about increasing knowledge for people that are in their pre-med journey. And then of course I'll start documenting my medical school journey. So just making that information accessible to more people. And then specifically, you know, once I become a physician, definitely like as much as I can, depending on where I work, you know, letting people in to shadow me, being a mentor for younger students. My goal is hopefully to start a scholarship program. I'd love to start that this summer, but we'll see how my fan- my finances are going. Um, but definitely just like starting a scholarship just to give back to other students and help them, you know, with those costs and things like that. But yeah, I think really education is key. It's so important and just eliminating those barriers first and just increasing access to all the information that I have and sharing that with people um, is my first goal because I do think that we need more minorities in medicine. So patients will will be able to see physicians that look like them. I think that representation, you can't even, you can't even put a number on how valuable it is. Um, And so that's just my goal. I remember when I started working at my family medicine practice and there was a black woman that came in and she was like, I was not expecting to see you, you know, like she, she was so excited and she was head of, she's works with the nursing department at my undergrad, but you know, I didn't interact with her not being a nursing major. And she gave me her number and she was like, if you ever need anything, like, please reach out. And I think that we need more people like that. And I'm like, I just can't even imagine when a healthcare provider, a physician, and I have my first patient that looks like me and just, you know, that connection. And I think just, I think it's just so important and we need more minority physicians. And I just want to be able to increase diversity in medicine, not just, you know, racial minorities, but just, you know, all types of diversity is so important. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Well, I love all of what you said. And we're right there with you (laughs) with this podcast and everything we're doing as well. Um, And then finally, do you have any just parting words of advice? Like what advice would you give to other to younger minority students about pursuing a, a career in medicine? If this is the career that is for you, and only you can decide that, don't let anybody or anything deter you. There are resources out there. Um, if money is deterring factor, apply to scholarship, connect with people that, you know, apply to fee assistance program, connect with people that can help you overcome that cost barrier. You know, if education is an issue, you know, that use your network and just don't let anybody or anything deter you from becoming a physician because the journey is hard. It's going to suck sometimes. There's going to be times where you question is this for me? But if this is truly where you're meant to be, 
it will happen. You just have to keep putting in the work and medicine needs you. The healthcare system needs you. Patients need you. And you are going to have an impact on medicine. So put in the hard work now and it will 100% pay off. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And do you think you'll continue uh, being active on your social media account during med school, sharing all of your experiences from there? Yes, I am so, so excited about that. So of course, you know, in the preclinical years, it'll be totally different, you know, getting back to like science classes and just like traditional classroom, which I think would just be totally different for me, just being a college student in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and then as much as I can in the clinical spaces, you know, while protecting patient confidentiality and things, but, you know, just sharing, oh, this specialty, this is what I love about this specialty, things I didn't know because it is still hard for some people, depending on where you're at, to get into the hospital and to shadow. Um, There's still specialties that like neonatology that I haven't been able to shadow that I'll be able to shadow once I'm a medical student, once you have that access. And so just sharing information like that, I'm super excited to share my journey. It's going to, it's crazy to me. Sometimes I just scroll back through when I started this account February, 2020, and to see how much I've grown. Uh And I hope that other people like, you know, four years down the road, when hopefully I match up wherever I'm going to go, people can scroll Uh back and see my journey and be like, Hey, like she was in my shoes studying for the MCAT. And now she's here. And just like, let that be um, motivation for other people that are going into medicine. I love it. I love it. So Listeners, um, if you don't already follow Morgan, again, her Instagram handle is at melanin.in.med. Amazing advice. If you're in the thick of it, advice on everything from the ap- every component of the application to studying for the MCAT and just seeing her inspiring story and that example of if Morgan can do it, you can do it too. It's just so inspirational. Thank you so much, Morgan. We talked a lot today and hopefully our listeners find this helpful. I'm sure they will. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited just to be able to share a little bit about my journey. And uh, to all our listeners, thanks for listening to this episode. We wish you a wonderful week.